Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Howdy, everybody. This is CJ, and I'm here doing something I haven't done in a while. And you may already be able to tell if you looked at the show notes for the episode, or you may also be able to tell if you noticed the audio sounds a little different from normal for me. But I am doing a silver bullet episode, something I used to do semi-regularly back in the early days of the show. But as I got higher and higher standards of production, and as I more and more often did longer and much more detailed and in-depth episodes, I stopped doing them as often, and, you know, in recent years, I only do them pretty rarely. But this is a silver bullet episode, meaning that I am recording this on my commute to work. So I've got currently about a 45-minute drive from where I live in Flagler County, Florida, to where I work in Putnam County, Florida. And I've got something to talk about that I don't need a huge amount of detailed notes in front of me for. I do have a few notes to look at, just some bullet points and things to kind of keep me on track and remind me of some stuff I wanted to say. But, you know, obviously when you're driving, you don't want to be reading a whole bunch of detailed stuff. But, you know, if you're worried, if you're somebody who lives in a big city and commutes on big, crazy traffic highways to work and whatever, don't worry, I'm not glancing even at bullet point notes while I'm doing that, my ride is mostly through rural and semi-rural, fairly small, you know, county roads and things like that. And there's really usually not any traffic at all until the last few miles when I have to drive through the town where I work to get to the far side where the campus is located and all that stuff. So anyway, where I'm at right now, and I'm not speaking physically here, I'm talking about in time. I am nearing the end of my third week back at work since the new school year started and second week of classes, because, of course, we have the first week that's, you know, meetings and planning and all that kind of stuff. So I'm nearing the end of my second week of classes, and, of course, I'm never thrilled to be back at the day job, after, especially after I've been off for a few months. But at least on the plus side, so far, it's certainly much, much better than what I was dealing with last year. Three out of my five classes now are in person, and I do not have to wear a mask while I am teaching. You know, I basically told the students, hey, stay more than six feet away from me while I'm teaching because I'm not wearing a mask. And, you know, if you want to stay further away from me because you're concerned, then then do that. But, you know, I basically told them how horrible it was teaching with a mask on last semester. I mean, if you've never done this, you know, wearing a mask is an annoying thing. Under the best of circumstances, especially for somebody like me who wears glasses, your glasses fog up all the time and whatever. But if you've never had to speak loudly for, you know, an hour or more at a time through a mask, you don't know how miserable it can be. 
Uh, it's uncomfortable. It's distracting. It muffles my voice. You know, I'm trying to speak loud enough to project through an entire room. And of course, the mask is getting all damp and whatever because it gets nasty a lot quicker if you're speaking loudly and continuously. And it also ruins the connections with the students because they can't see my facial expressions, my voice is muffled, and of course, because I'm distracted by being uncomfortable and not feeling right and everything, then I'm not doing as good of a job, you know, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and then it's sort of like a, a, a negative cycle, right? It'd be like if you were trying to do a stand-up comedy act and there's something like really distracting going on at the same time in the background or something. So even if your material's really good, it's just not, you're not going to do as good of a job presenting it, and it's not going to land as well with the audience either. So anyway... It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. There's still aspects of things going on that I'm not happy about, but, you know, comparing it to last school year and how I had to deal with the fall semester, every single class being online, and many of those classes I had to build as I was going because they're classes I don't normally teach online, and that was a horrific amount of work. And then in the spring, I had one in-person class, so I was going into campus three days a week, but it was under those horrible conditions where I had to wear a mask while teaching, even if no student was within 12 feet of me, let alone six. But anyway, enough of updates about me and how I'm doing. I hope you all are doing okay out there as the world continues to be quite insane in a number of ways. You know, Harry Brown wrote the book, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. I wish he or somebody had written the book, How I Found Sanity in an Insane World, because we could use something like that right now. I don't know if there's any libertarian mental health experts out there listening to this feel free to steal that idea and run with it if you want to write a book like that just as a courtesy though maybe give me a little tip of the hat somewhere in the book if you do so anyway in this silver bullet episode and by the way side note if you're not familiar with the lingo from some of my early episodes i call my episodes that i record in the car silver bullet episodes because i am driving my 2014 Hyundai Accent hatchback, which is silver in color. Yes, quite a sexy, sporty car, right? No, but very practical. Have to say, for the most part, it's it's been a pretty sturdy, reliable car. Gets decent gas mileage. And if most of your driving is making a fairly long commute to and from work, and you're the only person in the car... I think a little hatchback is probably the way to go from just a pure practicality standpoint. So anyway, this is a car that I bought only like a month or two after I started the podcast, and I'm still driving it now. So I'm one of those people, I like to buy a car and, you know, do a good job maintaining it and keep it for a long, long time. I'm not one of these people getting a new car every couple of years or something like that. Just doesn't seem to make financial sense to me. But I tend to be practical when it comes to vehicles, and I save my impracticalities for other things like, you know, guitars or guns or knives or any of the other stuff that I probably have too many of. So in this episode, I want to talk about the idea of emergent order, and I'm going to contrast these two things. I think most people assume... Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. 
high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Because they never really have thought about it or understood it or whatever, that in order to have anything like order, it must be imposed. And so this then leads them to support, you know, coercive policies and, you know, states and things like that. Because they kind of look around and say, well, I, I like there being some sort of order. You know, I like the world being mostly fairly safe and predictable. And it seems to me the only way to do that is to have a whole bunch of imposed order, a whole bunch of coercion to bring this about. Therefore, I support imposed order. But I think they're wrong. And I think this is one of those things that's really important to understand, but that's hard for most people to understand because it's kind of counterintuitive. But I think that emergent order, while on the surface it appears messier, then imposed order, in practice, ends up producing actually a greater degree of, like, the good side of order. Where things are, you know, relatively predictable most of the time, and where you don't have to worry about constant chaos, maybe wrecking your life, destroying your business, or who knows what. Now, I basically identify as an anarchist, and I think a lot of people have, like, the straw man idea of what an anarchist is, and in part it's because this is the version of anarchism that the media always likes to present them with. You know, like some black block type person, you know, throwing rocks through the windows of a small business or things like that. You know, lighting trash cans on fire or stupid crap like that. And of course the media, as an informal arm of the state, is happy to spotlight those sort of self-identified anarchists and either state or at least heavily imply, this is what anarchism is, and this is all it is, and you should be scared of it, because look, aren't you glad that there's, you know, jackbooted state enforcers to keep these people at bay? And what they're really saying is that anarchism is equivalent to just outright chaos. And, you know, some anarchists, usually, honestly, in my opinion, the ones that are kind of, like, dumber or very, very immature, or who don't really understand the ideas behind the label they're adopting to themselves, will actually play into this and be like, yeah, I just want to be an agent of chaos kind of thing, you know? But in reality, I think that true anarchism is something that tends to foster emergent order, at least over time. Maybe it doesn't do it immediately, but as things sort of play out, emergent order emerges... And that ultimately, emergent order is, in a way, more orderly and also more resilient than imposed order. So, by emergent order, I mean order that emerges seemingly kind of spontaneously from the interaction of some combination of autonomous forces or actors, which could include humans. But, you know, you could also see it happening in the natural world where no humans are really intervening. 
Systems that are characterized by emergent order often appear superficially to people who don't really understand what's going on to be chaotic. But in fact, I think on deeper understanding that, like I kind of said a minute ago, systems characterized by emergent order actually tend to be more orderly in a deeper sense than those based on imposed order. Now, by imposed order, you can probably sort of guess what I mean just based on the words, but I mean order that is forced or is attempted to be forced from outside and or from above, kind of artificially and typically via some form of coercion onto a system or a society or whatever. So systems characterized by imposed order often appear to be extremely orderly, maybe even obsessively so, or excessively so. But imposed order tends to create bigger and more dysfunctional disorders. It tends to create, sooner or later, some sorts of crazy imbalances in a system or a society, especially in the medium to long term. And so, especially in the medium to long term, Perhaps somewhat paradoxically, and for sure counterintuitively, systems of emergent order will tend to produce more kind of genuine order, and systems of imposed order might produce a lot of surface order, the appearance of order, but in reality produce all sorts of imbalances and dysfunctions. Those of you who are longtime listeners who have gone back and listened to some of the earliest episodes may know I'm a giant fan of the philosophy that comes out of ancient China known as Taoism. And I'm not going to do a whole disquisition here on it. You know, I consider myself at the very least a fan of Taoism or, you know, am I a Taoist? I don't know. It's not like you get baptized into it. It's not, you know, something like that. It's not like you accept Lao Tzu as your personal Lord and Savior or something like that, you know, more characteristic of organized religion. But I think that Taoism is probably the at least quasi-spiritual philosophical school that best understands emergent order. Although certain types of libertarianism and anarchism do as well, but they do it in less kind of poetic, sort of spiritualistic sort of ways. They tend to do it, and there are exceptions, you know, there are spiritual variations of anarchism, including even things like Christian anarchism and even uh, Islamic anarchism, that would put a lot of these principles into more mystical or spiritual-sounding terms. But in general, libertarians and anarchists, while they might very much understand emergent order and identify it and analyze it, it's generally in a more systematic, rationalistic, you know, kind of academic sort of way. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a fan of that, too. And some aspects of that are going to be in this little episode here, but in terms of just how I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it in a more Taoist sort of a way. And of course, one of the things that's at the heart of Taoism is the idea of balance and spontaneous order and the idea that a lot of the time by leaving things alone, you're actually doing the best thing to solve a problem or, you know, bring about a better situation. That again, it's one of these things that's counterintuitive. And I can tell you, as a parent, 
you know, set aside big questions of economics and politics and whatever. But as a parent, a lot of the time, certainly not all the time, but a lot of the time, the best thing you can do to help your kid, you know, to solve a problem or to grow and mature is to not intervene. Now, there's exceptions to this, of course, especially, you know, a very young child. Obviously, if you see your toddler about to wander into a street, you go intervene. But if you apply the overall principles of something like Taoism to parenting, then you come down on basically the conclusion that you want to always try to intervene as minimally as possible. The least possible intervention to, you know, protect your child from like absolute catastrophe or, or, you know, significant danger. But you have to allow them to make some mistakes, to solve some of their own problems, to even occasionally get hurt, or else you're actually doing them a disservice. You know, you're going overboard with the safetyism, and that's actually really bad for a child. So anyway, Taoism, along with things like sound economics, libertarianism, and what I would consider real science, meaning actually using the scientific method rather than the science trademark, which is really just an argument from authority, in my opinion. All of these things, and probably more that we could come up with, point in the direction of the superiority of emergent order over imposed order in almost every way. And interestingly, all of these things, Taoism, real good economics, libertarianism, and real good science... All of them in various ways, they're different methods of understanding different aspects of existence and the world and life. And all of them, I would argue, are noteworthy for kind of each in their own ways, helping to reveal very important counterintuitive truths. So now I'm just going to sort of run through a list of ways in which you can kind of see emergent order and imposed order manifesting in ways that are contrasting. And some of these I might elaborate a little bit on, and some of them I might just sort of, you know, read off the quick little bullet point and move on because it's kind of self-explanatory. So emergent order is bottom-up. Imposed order is top-down. Emergent order is flexible. Imposed order is rigid. Emergent order is organic. Imposed order is artificial. Emergent order is decentralized. Imposed order is centralized. Emergent order is anti-fragile. Imposed order, while it appears superficially to be powerful, and even invulnerable in some cases, is actually deceptively fragile. And here, when I use the terms fragile and anti-fragile, I'm thinking about Nassim Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile, which is very much worth reading if you've never read it. Emergent order is negotiated. Imposed order is coerced. Emergent order is empirical and practical. It's based on real-world experience and observation and adjusting accordingly. Imposed order is theoretical and impractical. It tends to come from the minds of ivory tower theoreticians without a whole lot of real experience in real life. Emergent order is do-it-yourself. Imposed order is do-what-you're-told. 
Emergent order is a natural, pristine forest. Imposed order is monocrop agriculture, or a paper mill forest, with trees all of the same species, all of roughly the same size, planted in nice, neat lines. Emergent order is Aristotle. Imposed order is Plato. And here I'm thinking in my mind of the famous painting, The School of Athens, by... Oh, I'm having a senior moment, probably because I'll be 40 in two weeks. It's one of the Ninja Turtles. I want to say Raphael. I can picture the painting in my head. I'm pretty sure it's Raphael. If it's one of the other Ninja Turtles, I apologize. Aristotle, in trying to figure out important questions like how to live a good life or what's the best way to organize a society, he looks around at real life and draws conclusions from that, whereas Plato starts with these imaginary ideals. Emergent order is classical republicanism. Imposed order is Woodrow Wilson's modern democracy. Emergent order is fractal. It's seemingly chaotic, but it's really not when you actually understand it. And by the way, there have been studies that have shown that fractals are actually soothing to most people. Now, presumably those who are like way too high on psychological trait orderliness, or what is it? I guess the, the orderliness part of conscientiousness. Maybe fractals aren't soothing to them. Maybe fractals are not soothing to people who suffer from OCD. But to most people, Fractals are actually soothing, whether they realize it or not. This is part of, it's not the only reason, but it's part of why most people, if they take a hike through a beautiful forest, or if they look at a bunch of mountains, they have a sense of beauty and wonder and soothing. I mean, I've had times where I could just look at the gnarled, fractal branches of a beautiful tree and just stare at them and not even really think of anything. And just be, you know, meditating with my eyes open. And even more so with mountains. I can sit and look at a beautiful set of mountains, really, if nothing else is going on, for hours. This is why it's tragic that I live in Florida, although there is some great fractalness to be found in a lot of the trees of Florida, especially the big, gnarly old oak trees. So emergent order is fractal, but imposed order is straight lines and right angles. It's orderly, but in excess, at least, it can actually make most people feel kind of unnerved and even stressful, and they might not even know why. Now, it's one thing if you've got some straight lines and right angles mixed in with some other things that are more, you know, curves and fractals and all that sort of thing. But imagine walking through like some horrible communist built city where everything is like concrete block rectangles and all these sorts of things like that's not going to make you feel very good in the way that kind of a more organic mixture of architecture would make you feel. Emergent order is enforced by natural consequences. You do something stupid or harmful or whatever, and something automatically kind of happens to you. You do something unhealthy, you suffer negative consequences for doing it. 
Imposed order is enforced by artificial rewards and punishments, meaning carrots and sticks. So, emergent order would say, let drugs be legal. If a person, you know, gets addicted to a dangerous drug, that it, that itself is the punishment. You don't need external coercion on top of it, and if anything, that'll make it worse. And the proper response to a person who gets addicted to a harmful drug is compassion and wanting to help them if they want to get better and get off of it, not wanting to throw them in a dungeon or something like that. Whereas imposed order is from coercion and artificial rewards, carrots and sticks, right? And you could think to, oh, I'm blanking on the guy's name, the, the guy who wrote the definitive book about intrinsic learning versus forced learning. I'm blanking on his name. I think I actually referred to it briefly in my talk at Harvard three years ago or whenever that was. Emergent order creates natural aristocracies, meaning aristocracies of merit and talent. Imposed order creates all forms of artificial and arbitrary hierarchies, those that correspond much less to actual merit and competence, and more to do with how people play games and corrupt systems. Emergent order is the good. Imposed order is the perfect. And I mean this in the sense of the perfect being the enemy of the good. And of course, ironically, in this meaning, perfect actually ends up in some way being much, much, much worse in practice than the mere good would have been. In a system of emergent order, one gains status by earning the respect of others. In a system of imposed order, one demands status by inflicting fear in others. Emergent order rewards competence. Imposed order rewards dominance. Emergent order is Woodstock. Imposed order is Woodstock 99. Emergent order is the internet of the 90s and the 20-aughts. Imposed order is the internet in more recent years. So, a few more examples, some kind of general, some a little more specific. First is going to be one that's probably the most obvious that occurred to most of you right away when I started talking about this topic. Emergent order is a market economy, with people freely interacting, buying and selling, engaging in all manner of voluntary transactions. So, emergent order is sort of like the invisible hand. Coerced order, or imposed order, is a centrally planned economy. And all you would have to do is compare the economy of a centrally planned, you know, communist country to the economy of a much more free market country to see what I'm talking about. The centrally planned economy supposedly is going to be better because it's going to be more rational, right? The experts are going to rationally figure out how much to make of what. But of course, in practice, it ends up being a disaster, where basic consumer goods and, you know, toilet paper and shoes and whatever else are, like, really hard to come by. And there's bizarre surpluses of things no one needs or wants, and then shortages of basic goods and even necessities. So comparing a centrally planned economy to a more market-oriented one is one of the best illustrations there is of emergent order versus imposed order. On the surface, the market economy appears a lot more chaotic, but in reality, it does a better job of sort of balancing itself out over the long term and in general moves in the direction of 
creating supply to meet demand. Emergent order is common law, especially in its earliest versions in medieval England. Now, yeah, there was a state kind of involved with it, but it was sort of created in a more bottom-up, empirical way than alternatives. Imposed order would be something like Roman law or Napoleonic law, which is, as I understand it, basically just like a somewhat modified version of Roman law, or something like Chinese legalism. These are all systems where it's about some central authority simply issues edicts or laws which are then rigidly enforced without a whole lot of flexibility or anything like that, and there's really no room for precedent. And in a lot of ways, in those types of legal systems, everything is really stacked in favor of the state. Now, in practice, the American legal system in modern times is supposed to be based on common law. It still operates on some common law principles, but it's become increasingly statist, particularly over the last hundred years or so. So I'm not saying that common law as it operates today in, you know, the U.S. or the English-speaking world is still primarily a system of emergent order, but I'm saying in theory it's supposed to be, and in practice in, you know, medieval England when it was just starting to be a thing, it was more towards emergent order than towards imposed order. A callback to my episodes way back on the Everglades, which if you've never listened to those, you might want to check them out. They're sort of like cult favorites amongst many of my longtime listeners. Emergent order is the Everglades in its natural state, wherein it kind of self-corrected for floods and droughts. Imposed order is the Everglades after all of the drainage and dike building and whatever in the 20th century. All those things were supposed to make the Everglades less volatile and prone to flood and drought and wildfires and whatever. And, of course, it ended up doing the opposite, right? Just like interventions into the economy and central banks controlling a nation's economy, all these things are supposed to smooth out the business cycle and smooth out the economy, and usually they end up doing the exact opposite. Again, it's this counterintuitive truth that the Taoists understood 2,500 years ago. So the Everglades, as significantly modified by artificial means, is way more prone to alternating floods and droughts. It's much more prone to really destructive fires instead of, you know, the periodic natural wildfires that actually end up, you know, replenishing the ecosystem and doing some good for it. And you could point to any case where you've got a naturally evolved ecosystem versus a similar type of ecosystem or environment, but that's been severely intervened in by man through, you know, various means. I mean, compare a natural river to a canal, or a natural river to a river that has been significantly straightened or dredged or whatever. Emergent order are organically evolved cities that don't have rigid controls or any sort of central plan, that just sort of emerge over generations. Imposed order are rigidly planned and zoned and controlled cities. And here I'm thinking about the work of Jane Jacobs, things like Death and Life of Great American Cities. And that is a book very much worth reading if you've never read it. I read it a long, long time ago. And I keep meaning to reread it, but, you know, I'm always reading like 20 books at once, so it's always tough. But, um, you know, she talks about how 
the cities and neighborhoods that people really like to live in and that tend to produce a high quality of life and a genuine sense of community and all that are the cities that are the most kind of organic in how they evolved. And the streets don't always make rigidly rational sense. If you look at it on a map, it might appear more chaotic. It might appear chaotic in the sense that, like, things are mixed together. There's not, like, rigidly, here's the one sector of the city where all the business is, and here's the one sector of the city where there's nothing but homes. But instead, places where, if you just looked at it on a map, it appears more chaotic and haphazard. But in reality, to the people who actually live there in real life on the ground, it's much better. And last, emergent order is the sandlot while imposed order is a rigidly controlled, formal Little League. Emergent order is kids playing freely outside, coming up with their own games with their own rules, and working them out as they go. Imposed order is 6 o'clock gymnastics class, where you'll do what you're told. So I'm getting closer to work, and I'm going to be wrapping this up soon, but just sort of a few takeaways, and a few kind of more thoughts on this idea before I call it quits for this episode. Uh, first, I would say there's a spectrum between emergent order and imposed order in many systems and institutions. It's not as if all or even most systems fall 100% into either category. Some do, but mostly it's a spectrum. It's not like a one or zero. So, you know, it's just like how in practice, most economic systems are not either 100% market or 100% centrally planned, at least not as of now, when the world's consciousness hasn't been raised to the level where it understands anarchism and wants it. But, you know, if you look around at the world's economies in various nations today, they're all on some spectrum between, like, absolute 100% central planning and absolute 100% free market. But, of course, if you look around, the correlation between ones that are further towards the market and prosperity and flourishing and whatever is pretty strong. And the correlation between economies that are much more towards the rigidly controlled and planned side of the spectrum, you have poverty, misery, and all kinds of bad stuff. And all you got to do is look at things like North Korea versus South Korea, or back in the day, West Germany versus East Germany, or even make it a, a more small and micro example of West Berlin and East Berlin. And related to that, I'll make the point explicitly, systems that are based more on emergent order, so I got stuff flopping around in my car as I'm driving, systems that are based on emergent order tend to be, when we're talking about human systems, they tend to be freer and more humane and tend to produce more happiness and flourishing than systems that are based primarily on imposed order. And there's a lot of reasons for this and you know, I can't think of them all right now, and like I said, I'm going to wrap this episode up soon anyway because I'm getting close to work. But emergent order tends to produce a lot more win-win interactions. And I'm driving under a train, or driving under train tracks as a train is going across the bridge over me, if you heard that. So anyway, emergent order tends to produce a lot more win-win interactions, whereas coerced order tends to produce a lot more win-lose, or zero-sum interactions. Now, I will point out, I'm not being utopian with this or anything like that. Quite the opposite. And I think anybody who understands emergent order understands that emergent order is in many ways 
the opposite of utopian. Systems based on emergent order are not perfect. Nothing is. Systems based on emergent order can still have imbalances and issues and problems and that sort of thing. But systems based on emergent order are generally much more liable to self-correcting, especially in the medium to long term. So if you've got a market economy and, you know, suddenly there's an imbalance, let's say there's suddenly a shortage just because of like, you know, bad luck or a natural disaster or something, there's a shortage of a particular commodity or item or whatever. In the short run, it's still going to cause, you know, problems for, for producers and consumers as they figure out how to deal with it. But that system is going to do a better job of ultimately self-correcting one way or another than a system based on rigid central planning and control. So that's the key, is that, you know, it's not like with an emergent order system, you get to some endpoint utopia where things just stop. It's like, no, the world keeps changing and things happen and imbalances occur and whatever, right? Just like how in the natural Everglades, there would still sometimes be floods and droughts and wildfires and whatever. But in general, things would self-correct more readily and balance out, as opposed to letting the Army Corps of Engineers decide when to let the water out and when to hold it back, which then tends to, just like with the central bank directing the economy instead of market forces, it tends to actually produce bigger imbalances that are less able to self-correct. So anyway, I'm almost to work. I hope you found this worth listening to. It's one of those, you know, kind of different from my uh, big, in-depth, lots of notes, lots of detail and whatever historical narrative type episodes. But you know, I do like every now and then to just sort of talk about a concept or a theory or an idea or something like that, get a little bit more theoretical, and it gives me an opportunity to be a producer during my drive to work to do something like this instead of just being a consumer and, you know, listening to music or a podcast like I normally do. So I hope you've enjoyed joining me on my morning commute to work here, and I hope you're having a good day doing whatever the hell it is you're doing. And as always, thanks for listening to the Dangerous History Podcast, and stay tuned for, you know, more episodes coming down the pike soon, including, probably before too long, another Woodrow Wilson episode, and a few other things I'm working on behind the scenes, too. <laughs>